This week's episode of the Cloudcast is brought to you by Intel Cloud for All, driving the creation of thousands of clouds. Cloudcast Media presents from the massive studios in Raleigh, North Carolina. This is the Cloudcast with Aaron Delb and Brian Gracely, bringing you the best of cloud computing from around the world. Good morning, good evening, wherever you are, and welcome back to the Cloudcast. We're coming to you live from the massive studios here in Raleigh, North Carolina. A uh, couple of couple of co-hosts tonight. So, Aaron, welcome welcome to the show. Two weeks in a row that we're both on. I know, I know. Two weeks in a row, and and maybe we'll make it three. Um, but then after that, we we'll break the streak because I'll be over in DockerCon. That's right. He'll be <laughs> over there. He'll do some shows from uh, from Spain. And uh, joining us uh, because for two reasons. Uh, one, because we always have to have her on at least once a year. Amy Lewis, welcome to the show. Hi. And uh, we have some other reasons we're having you on as well, but we'll get to that in a second. Um, Aaron, uh, I, I usually never would, would talk about Saturday stuff with you, uh, especially this Saturday. Uh, but we do have a couple of, we, we do have a Saturday thing we need to talk to people about because about three months from now on a Saturday, we, uh, we're doing the Krispy Kreme run again. And which I means, know. Which means that we are going to start asking our community to be uh, generous as, as they have been for the last three years. Um, and help us raise some money. Um, and for anybody who, anybody who knows the show has been a long time listener to the show, you know, uh, everything about the Krispy Kreme run. It's the annual event that, that Aaron and I do, um, every February in Raleigh. Um, for those of you that don't know, um, basically what it is, is it started off as a fraternity prank at NC state university. Um, and it's turned into a 8,000 person kind of Mardi Gras slash, uh, you know, crazy man versus the world eating contest. And it's an, it's an awesome fundraiser for the North Carolina children's hospital. So, um, here's, here's how it works. It's real simple. Um, we have a, we have a button right on the website on the cloudcast.net. If you go there, you will see it right in the top corner. There's a place you can make donations. And the way it works is every dollar, every dime, uh, that you contribute, uh, on behalf of the show, um, goes to the North Carolina children's hospital. It's basically for, Kids who are having a hard time, uh, health reasons, you know, they're, they got a bad, they got a bad shake. Um, it helps both them and the doctors, but it also helps all the families if, if they've got extended stays and so forth. Um, so, uh, we ask the community, uh, we make contributions to it. And the flip side of it is Aaron and I do this, this crazy thing in February where we get up in the morning, uh, on an usually an incredibly cold morning. Uh, we run <laughs> cold, rainy, sleet, snow. Yeah. It's, we've had everything over the years. <laughs> yeah. So we get up, we get up with 8,000 of our closest friends. Um, we run two and a half miles. We, uh, throw down 12 dozen or 12 Krispy Kreme donuts and then we go running again. We run another two and a half miles back uphill and try and keep it all down. And uh, and the good news, it's a lot of fun. And and the great news is is uh, collectively as a as a community. And I we you know we have to thank everybody every year. We've we've raised fourteen thousand dollars over the last three years, um, which is which is really awesome when you get to stand in front of the people and uh, and go here. We're trying to help kids. So, anyways, you guys will hear us talking about that for the next couple of months. If you'd like to make a donation, we would love it. Um, and again, every, every bit of it goes to the kids and, and trying to help them. So, and so I have to ask for predictions now ahead of time, Amy, you in this year? Uh, you know what? I was going to ask if I could split a leg and I'll take the donut eating. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> or just, just run to the donuts and then eat the donuts and then just, you know, get in the car and go home. Yeah. Cause I, I think it's somewhat well-documented that, uh, the year I attempted this, number one, I thought it was a 5k, not a five mile for all you Europeans listening, but, uh, feel my pain. That's a big difference. And, uh, 
the uh, uh, I got passed on the the back half of that race by a guy in a wheelchair going uphill. So not my best race, but uh, I but finished. You, but you've been training, so you're you're much better <laughs> off. So you're, you're good. Yeah, I'm in. I can't back down from a challenge. All right. Well, yeah, and, I, and I'm the one who. Yeah, we'll see because I've got a bad back. I, I can't even hardly walk, more or less, oh, run now. Excuse, so we'll see. This excuse, is going to be an interesting. Excuses are already. No, I'm I'm in. I'm in. I it's just going to be. I'm taking yeah, you out. It's going to be year. three three months of training here. I, I got to get it going. So we'll see. All right. I, I one other piece of of housekeeping, and and uh, this is. Uh, kind of a cool thing to do. It's it's uh, November 5th, which means we've got two months left in the year. And uh, got to thank the community, people who listen. We uh, we passed last year's number, which was what we thought the biggest that we had done in four years. Uh, we've now passed last year's number in terms of listens. We've got two months left. So uh, thank you to everybody who listens. Thanks to everybody who tells a friend about what we do. Um, we love doing it. We're glad you guys like what we're doing. And um, it's uh, it's cool that the audience keeps getting bigger every year. So thank you very much. All right, uh, enough housekeeping, enough of us uh, kind of gabbing. Let's get to our guest. Tonight, we're going to do something a little different. Um, so when, when Aaron and I shifted the show and, and decided to move away from kind of infrastructure-y kind of stuff and, and move towards more of what's going on in the public cloud and DevOps and, and SaaS applications and so forth, um, we covered some of SaaS applications. Like we would cover a lot of sort of IT management ones, but we haven't really covered a lot of them that are that are out there making money and doing interesting, cool things. So we... we uh, we, we came across one here recently that we, we thought was kind of neat. And we thought it was a little controversial, too. So um, excited to have on uh, Srinivas Krishna Murthy, who is uh, CEO and founder of Zugata. Uh, Srinivas SK, well, welcome, and thanks for, uh, thanks for being so patient with us, uh, kind of yip in there for so long. No worries. Thank you so much for having me on the show, Brian. <clears throat> so, um, so first and foremost, you're, uh, you're kind of an alumni of of the infamous uh, VMware Mafia, uh, you know, previous to to Zugata, you were you were at VMware for a while. Um, give us a little bit of your background, and, and more importantly, why did you decide to start uh, start Zugata, and, and, and tell us a little bit about the service? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so uh, I was at VMware. I joined VMware in two thousand three. I think it was about three hundred odd people at VMware, uh, and I finally left VMware in twenty thirteen when it was about fifteen thousand people. So it was an awesome ride. A ten-year ride at uh, at VMware, and I uh, got a chance to work with a lot of wicked smart people on some very cool products. Um, I joined VMware as the the product manager for uh, VMware Workstation, which uh, in those days in '03, I think probably was about forty percent of our revenue. Um, and the world has changed a lot since then, obviously. But um, and and I was fortunate enough to work on a lot of different uh, initiatives in my ten years there. Um, after Workstation, I was responsible for all our developer products. Uh, and I ran the virtual appliance program for a while. Uh, I ran the Linux strategy for a while. And in between somewhere there, I was also responsible for uh, VMware Fusion, which was our first consumer product that allows you to run Windows on a Mac. Uh, and the last thing that I did before I left VMware was um, I actually ran the mobile group, the business side of the mobile group, uh, that brought virtualization onto Android devices and did some early you know, MDM and MAM work. <laughs> Uh, so after about 10 years, you know, uh, I felt like it was time to, to leave. Uh, so I decided to leave VMware. Uh, and I was always fascinated with, you know, the startup scene, obviously, when you're working in Silicon Valley. Uh, so um, I met up with Steve Herod, who was actually, incidentally, I think you guys probably know Steve Herod pretty well. We do. Um, he, he, he tells us he's a fan of the show. So, yeah, now Steve, Steve's becoming a good friend. And, uh, yeah, yeah, we know absolutely. Steve a little bit. Yeah. And uh, he was actually my first office mate at, uh, at VMware. I think uh, when I came in as product manager for Workstation, I believe he was the director of engineering for ESX server product uh, in those days. 
Uh, and he had left uh, VMware in, in 2013 as well, and he joined General Catalyst as a, as a VC. Uh, so I got talking to him, and he said, "Hey, why don't you come hang out here as an entrepreneur in residence? You know, think of some ideas, and if you you know find any ideas that you want to pursue, you know, we'll support you, kind of a thing." Uh, so I spent uh, a bit of time at uh, General Catalyst uh, uh, in 2013 and early 2014, working on a couple of different ideas. Uh, and, and this idea that we actually started Zugata on started to come together uh, in, in spring of last year. Uh, so I spent a lot of time last summer talking to customers and kind of putting the team together. Uh, and we officially got started writing code in January of this year and uh, came out of stealth in uh, in October. Okay. And, uh, cool. Give give folks you know give give folks who who aren't familiar with with Zugato some some background on you know kind of the the premise and the problem statement. Yeah, so we started Zugata based on two key insights that we had. The first one is that most organizations know more about their customers and users than their own employees. Right, if you think about you know, Facebook or Twitter or any of these services, right? I mean, they collect so much data about who we are, right, and what we're looking at. Uh, and that's core to their business because they serve ads, you know, and, and, and the relevancy of the ads, you know, is, is dependent on how well they know you, right? So all that is based on data that they collect about us. And, you know, when you go talk to them, they say, look, employees are our most important asset, but it's amazing how little they actually know about their own employees, uh, you know, all the information about employees that they have is typically in an HR database. Um, and that is just all static information. You know, it, it's got information about, you know, where you live, your social security number, your pay and all that stuff. I mean, that's not really knowing you. Um, and so our idea was, hey, could we actually use data to better understand our employees? And if we can better understand them, then we can actually help them reach their fullest potential all based on data just like we're doing in, in retail and in marketing and sales everywhere else where we're using data to make decisions. And the second insight that we had was that when you looked at all the HR software that's out there, most of it was really built more for HR people and focused really on compliance and being the system of record, right? And so people like you and I would like never log into an HR system because there was nothing in it for us, right? I mean, I would log into our HR system at VMware once a year to do annual performance reviews and other than that, I never touched it. Uh, and, and the aha moment for us was, look, it wasn't really built for us. You know, It wasn't built to help me be a better employee or be a better manager. It was all about you know, being compliant and more focused on what HR wanted. So our vision was, how do we flip that? How do we put the employee at the front and center of the universe and say, okay, what would an employee want? How can we help an employee be the best that they can be at work all using data? So the way we think about it is, we're an employee-centric, data-driven HR system is what we're setting out to build. Interesting. Okay. So what's the, the idea here of, of this will fundamentally change kind of work environments, but, but what have you learned from the early adopters so far? And, and did, it, did it kind of go where you thought it would go is probably the, the first thing I want to know. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's fascinating. I mean, the whole uh, notion of doing, you know, data-based people decisions, I mean, Google is probably at the, at the cutting edge, uh, you know, in the, in the HR space. Um, and a lot of companies that we're talking to are, you know, very fascinated with what's happening at Google and want to be able to replicate some of these database decisions that uh, Google is able to make. But most companies just don't have, you know, a whole bunch of data scientists in the HR team to help, you know, um, make all these decisions for them and parse through all the data. 
So at a certain level, we're kind of offering our, our product as a way to like help them make better people decisions. And, and the thing that we have realized also is there's so many different things that you can do, right? When you think about data and analytics and, and people, it's, it's a pretty big problem. It's not something that you can solve right away. So we're trying to break it down into small chunks. And the first product that we shipped and announced a couple weeks ago is focused around helping employees, individual contributors, um, and uh, get better. And that's typically the, the notion of getting performance feedback is done in your annual performance reviews. Uh, and I hope I don't have to convince your audience that uh, you know nobody likes annual performance reviews. In fact, I think annual performance reviews and, and filing expense reports are probably the two worst things that we all have to do as employees, you know? Um, and so the employee, uh, the performance review system is completely broken. Uh, and so we're, we came up with a system where you can actually get continuous feedback from the people that you actually work with. So based on who you're emailing, based on who you're meeting with, and based on who you're slacking with, if you use Slack as your IM system, we actually build your, uh, your social graph at work, and we know exactly who you're working with. So we know who to ask for feedback, right? You don't have to give us names of you know, people that you work with. We actually collect continuous feedback for you based on who you're working with, and the feedback just comes to you uh, and helps you understand your strengths and weaknesses. And for things that you're not good at, we hook you up with mentors in the organizations who are really good at the skills that you're not good at, and we help you track your progress. So it's almost like a quantified self you know, type of a product that is really laser-focused on, on um, helping employees develop and be the best that they can be at work, and that's the first product that we've done. And in that context itself, you know, we've been in private betas since um, May of this year. Uh, we've had a whole bunch of design partner customers, you know, kind of play with the product and give us a bunch of feedback in terms of what's working, what's not working. So the product looks so vastly different than uh, what it looked like in May, um, just based on the feedback that we've been getting. So we're iterating. We do weekly sprints, actually. Uh, and so we're, we're iterating as quickly as we can. We're learning and, uh, you know, trying to get all the, the feedback back into the product as quickly as we can. So, SK, um, quick question. Uh you were talking about how data is so important for companies to understand their employees, but ju- it, correct me if I'm wrong, just trying to understand this, the the employer doesn't necessarily get any of this data. It's all individual-centric. Is that correct? Yeah. In, in the first product, that's totally uh, correct. Okay. Uh, I mean, we'll, we'll probably end up doing a manager product. We'll probably do like a VP-type product right downstream. Where you know they'll get you know information, but the current product is all about helping the individual, and so the information, the feedback that we collect, is only shared with the employer, not with the manager, not even with HR. Nobody has access to this feedback except the employee. Well, and one thing that sort of struck me, and and I'm curious what your um, what your testers have said and what what's borne out, but uh, I tend to work in a very um, in a public role where a lot of my engagement, my Slack channels would be people not within my company. Uh, and, and it's kind of interesting. You've created a product where your your peer it actually breaks down the walls of the company itself. That's why I sort of honed in on that. What kind of data you would get? Because I feel like my graph would be um, only ten percent within my actual company of, of people that would give me feedback. If you know, based on that data pull. Yeah, yeah. So it's it's interesting, right? I mean, the first version of the product, we said, you know what? Let's not ask for feedback outside of your domain. So we're only looking, let's say you're uh, an employee at VMware. We only get your feedback from folks that you work with uh, who are in the VMware domain. Um, but interesting, some of our customers have already said, 
hey, listen, you know, we love this product. We want to actually use this for our salespeople or maybe even our support people where, you know, they interact a lot with customers. And could we actually get feedback from the customers that they're serving or the clients that they're serving? Uh, so that's probably something that we'll do downstream. But for now, we said, hey, for the first product, let's just keep it within the domain uh, is, is where our focus is. But eventually, I think we'll probably go outside the domain as well. So, you know, there's there's been um, there's there's been companies who have, who have tried to do some of these types of things before in the past, right? Um, there was a was a company called Zobni at one point who yep. used to do it with email, um, and eventually kind of got sold to Microsoft. And um, there's been you know there was a a famous guy at, at MIT named named uh, Dr. Sandy Pentland who would do a lot of this kind of peer based stuff. Where how did you guys go about? kind of trying to avoid the mistakes of the past or how much did you look at it and say, you know, that, that those previous approaches were actually pretty good, but they, you know, they delivered it wrong. Like the user experience was wrong or there was, there wasn't enough data processing or how did, how did you sort of figure out how to not scrape your knees where other people had scraped their knees? Yeah. Uh, so I think that the biggest thing that, that is different in the way we're doing it versus uh, some of the other efforts is that for us, we're laser focused on in employees, not the employer, and it's an opt-in program, right? So the employees are willingly opting in and saying, hey, if I want to get feedback from the people that I work with, obviously I need to tell you who, you, you know, who I work with, so I'll give you access to my email credentials so you guys can figure out who I work with. And so it, the benefit is to the employees, and, and therefore they're willingly giving us access to it, versus us going to like HR or IT and saying, hey, give us access to your Exchange server and we can give you all these insights about your people behind their back, right? I mean, I think there's a little bit of that that was going on in, in earlier attempts. So we're trying to keep it, you know, uh, focused on employees, helping the employees. Because, I mean, at the end of the day, if we can help the employees, you know, work at their fullest potential, then by definition, the organization itself is going to work better, right? And so we're focused on employees. And very focused also on making it an opt-in program versus somebody doing it behind their backs. Yeah, the the opt-in opt-in aspect of it is very fascinating to me because that really at least in my mind overcomes the, the my my initial reaction was oh it's a you know it's it's a little bit of privacy it's a little bit of forced on your throat kind of thing a little bit of of uh, almost like big brother tracking you at times and and even though it's supposed to make me better i don't know if i want it right it's it's the equivalent of um yeah, i was originally thinking of like you know the insurance companies that that put the little chi- tracking chip on your car to make sure you're driving okay kind of thing yeah. um to to make you better um but but when it's all kind of opt in then, then that certainly makes more sense and certainly probably quells those those potentially negative initial reactions, correct? Yeah, absolutely. And, and that's the reason. I mean, in fact, you know, when we started last summer, when I was playing with the idea initially, uh, I, you know, our initial thought process was, hey, let's go talk directly to the heads of HR and tell them, hey, here are all the cool analytics that we can do if you give us access to your email servers and this and that and that. Uh, and, and the pushback that we actually got was that, hey, you know, even though the enterprise actually owns the data, they were just, uh, you know, hesitant to give access to that information because they felt like, you know, people would feel like it's an, you know, it's an invasion of their privacy that, it, as you said, big brother, somebody's watching over me kind of a thing, right? And that's one of the reasons why we decided to change our focus and make it, you know, an employee opt-in thing. Uh, and and if, there will be a certain set of employees who will be like, look, I don't, I don't really care about this, you know, either because I don't want feedback or if I don't want to get better or 
I just feel like this is too intrusive. I don't want to participate. And then they can always opt out. Uh, and so I think that actually helped us a fair bit in terms of the traction that, uh, that we're getting. What about um, any concerns about, uh, it seems, the unfortunate side of human behavior is anonymity uh, gives people license to say uh, what they want un- untempered. Does the, the process of aggregation, is there a certain, is there a tipping point? You know, if you've got, do you need X number of people in your, in your social circle to be able to mitigate some of those outlying comments that are inevitable? Yeah, it's, it's interesting. I mean, we've had a lot of customers and a lot of users using this uh, app since, since May of this year. And so far, we have not seen any, um, you know, weird behavior. Uh, and I'm not saying that it'll never happen. Uh, I'm sure eventually it will happen. A couple things that we're doing, we actually want to have, um, you know, uh, NLP algorithm in the back end that can actually flag some, you know, we can actually parse the text that people are typing and be able to say, hey, can we flag something that's inappropriate even before it actually goes to the person who's, you know, at the receiving end? Could we actually stop it from going? Could we flag it as um, as inappropriate, you know, comments and stuff like that are, are things that we're working on. And at the same time, one of the key differences uh, in our product is that rather than just giving you a blank slate and asking you to write, you know, comments, uh, and give feedback to people. It's a very guided experience. So we actually give you a set of you know cards. Is is the UI looks almost like Tinder, right? Uh, where each card that shows up on on mobile is a skill that you're giving feedback to somebody on, and you, you swipe right if that skill is a strength, and you swipe left if that skill is not yet a strength. Um, is the way we're actually asking people to give feedback. And at the very end, there's a free form text field. And even there, it's very guided, right? We say, hey, you mark this particular skill as a strength or a weakness. Can you give a little bit of commentary in terms of what this person needs to do specifically to improve or what specifically does this person need to continue doing to make sure that this stays a strength, right? So we're trying to guide the experience as much as possible and putting, you know, these, you know, when you go bowling, there are these gutter, uh, you know, the guides in the gutter, right? So you don't go into the gutter often when you play with kids. So we're trying to put um, those types of guidelines in place, um, all to protect the kind of you know feedback that people provide. Yeah. Well, and I, I noticed you have it uh, set up so that to see commentary, you have to give. To to get, you have to give, which uh, yeah. also seems to incent better behavior than you know freewheeling and no no uh, potential repercussion. Yeah, it, it's actually that's one of the things that we learned from our early customers as well, right? When 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 we first shipped the product, we didn't have that enforcement, and what we realized was that everybody wanted feedback, but nobody wanted to give feedback. Nobody wanted to put anything in, you know. Um, the LinkedIn the LinkedIn review problem, right? Yeah, exactly. And so what we noticed was the poor managers were the ones who were always giving out feedback because they kind of expect that to be. I mean, that's part of their job, so they're used to it. They do it. But if you're not a manager, nobody was, you know, putting anything back into the system. And we felt that was a lost opportunity. So that's the reason why we, we implemented this. You got to give to get. Um, and since then, it's actually, you know, been a lot more active. And we're seeing higher engagement um, in, in the product as well. Uh, and that's been uh, very key uh, in, in terms of uh, the usage so far for us. Is there a way, um, maybe maybe by means of an example that you've gotten from people, I mean, like, is there a way to track, um, you know, it's one thing to get feedback, right? Uh, good, bad, or indifferent. Uh, it's another thing to kind of go like, what's a, 
what's a next step? What's an action? And it, and it sounds like you guys have a mechanism that says, for example, if so-and-so gets rated very highly on some skill and somebody else who's in their network maybe is lower, you might connect those two together and go, hey, go, go have lunch together or, or something. Like, can, can you give us a, like a real example of people going like, hey, we, we've used it for a while and, and this better behavior has kind of become visible that we've, we've been able to see or, or how they've connected those dots? Yeah, absolutely. So I think uh, a couple of things there. One is people are actually getting very interesting feedback. I mean, the fact that it's anonymous, um, you know, is actually helping people be a little bit more honest. And I think the other thing that's also helping is the fact that the feedback is actually not shared with your manager, not shared with HR, right, means that I'm actually there to just help you, right? There's no incentive for me to stick it to you, right? And if I give you bad feedback, doesn't mean you're going to get fired. If I give you too good feedback, it doesn't mean you're going to get promoted at my expense, right? So we've kind of removed all those, you know, concerns. And it's strictly about, I mean, it takes a village to help people get better, right? And that's the approach that we're taking. And so we're seeing people be very honest in terms of, you know, trying to help people get better, right? They're providing feedback in terms of like, hey, you know, I think you should do this instead of that, you know, so we can actually see that kind of feedback coming through. And I think the most interesting thing that uh, one of our customers told us is that the fact that they're using this product as a way to help employees develop, they actually want to start pitching that as a perk, right, in the recruiting process. Um, You know, when they're talking to candidates, they're like, hey, if you come and join our company, you will actually get this feedback thing where everybody's giving you feedback, you know, with nobody else, you know, getting access to it except you, because we want you to develop. We want to help you get better. Uh, and so they actually feel that that's actually a perk that they can offer to their candidates. That's probably the biggest compliment that we've gotten so far, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I'm Aaron. Aaron, I'm excited for you to be able to use this to give feedback to uh, some of your some of your crew in uh, in Boulder that, that gets upset about throwing things in the wrong garbage. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Absolutely. Hey, wait, that uh, was me. Yeah, uh, yeah, exactly. No, and sometimes me, remember? Um, no, but, let me ask you this. So, so did... What is it like actually doing a SaaS service? Uh, you know, the the not necessarily super into the the technical aspects, but but you know, your your background at VMware in particular was more around packaging and, and products, right? And and what is the what has been the challenges behind starting a SaaS service as well? Because we we tend to talk to folks on the show, but but like I said, they tend to be more infrastructure uh, SaaS products. Yeah, it's. Um, I wouldn't say it's a challenge, but it's actually kind of fun, right? Um, I mean, we we do weekly sprints, so every week we're shipping new features, right? Um, and we break it down into small chunks, and and stuff is getting updated. And I'm I'm absolutely fascinated with with SaaS products, and and you know because we're able to do like so much A/B testing, right? I mean, we're a service, we, you know, we're a brand new product, we're out there, right? We don't know certain things where this, you know, if we did it this way, is it going to work better, or is it, if we did it that way, it's going to work better, right? And we're like, you know what? Let's just do an A/B test. That we we put it up on on the website. The next time somebody logs in. You know, we can actually track what people are doing and be able to make our decisions based on data that we're collecting in terms of the usage patterns, you know. Um, that's something that is just so hard to do with, you know, on-prem software or, you know, any other software that we had done in the past. So I think it's actually more fun um, and gives us a lot more flexibility to innovate and get things out faster and try out a lot of things um, that we just didn't have the luxury to do before. Right, right. Now, now one of the tricks with 
with SaaS, you know, SaaS has got a certain economic model to it, right? You, you guys today are you're in beta. You know, the initial product may be free at the user level, and it becomes, uh, you know, a, a for fee. You know, as features come in, like how how do you think about? It? I mean, you, you talked about working with with Steve Harrod and. Like, how well do you feel like people understand the the SaaS economic model as a as a you know as a founder business leader in terms of how many people you need to convert and how long you can go you know with sort of free things and I mean is is that getting to be a, a pretty understood economic model or is it is it still you know it depends on your business as to you know what you can burn through before you're converting customers and so forth. Yeah, it's absolutely. That. I mean, I think it varies from company to company, right? Um, and as you pointed out, you know, we have a freemium model. Uh, the, the existing product is free. Um, the way we're thinking about it is, for a product like ours, we the, the key thing is user engagement, right? If people come back and use this product to give feedback to each other, to receive feedback from people that they work with, and they feel like this feedback that they're getting is actually useful to them, that's when they'll come back to the app, right? And so that's what we're focused on is how do we get user engagement? If we have user engagement, we can always, always monetize, right? So monetize or trying to monetize too early at the expense of user engagement is actually a bad thing for us. And so, you know, we were able to talk to our investors and, and they were very supportive of this as to say, hey, look, you know, don't be like any, every other HR software where you go sell to HR and then you leave, you know? Um, we're focused on being bottoms up, right? And it's almost like, you know, what Dropbox has done to SharePoint, could we do that in the HR space, right? By focusing on users, making them love the product, and they say, look, we've got to have this, you know? And it starts spreading organically within the company because just people love it. Uh, and so that's what we're focused on. And, and depending on your business and, and the, the product, I mean, SaaS is, I mean, everything could be SaaS, right? I mean, there's so many different products out there. For some products, that'll work, and for other products, it may not. Uh, but that's how we're thinking about it. For us, user engagement is, is the be-all, end-all for us at this point in time. Yeah, the, the Dropbox versus SharePoint is is certainly a very interesting model and, and one I may not have thought about in the past of, of how do you reach that, that critical mass and that tipping point as quickly as possible and, and get that re-engagement on a regular basis without a doubt. That's fascinating. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it, and if you think about it, the SharePoint – you know, it's a multi-billion-dollar business, right? And it's really built, you know, and bought by IT folks. And a lot of users never actually touched it because it's just too complicated, you know. Uh, and then you know, Dropbox comes comes out, and it's so easy to use. And you know, my mom can use it, you know. And that's how it starts spreading. And you know, once people love it, they'll bring it into work. I mean, that's the whole consumerization of IT that we've seen, right? So, in a sense, we're trying to do something similar in, in the HR space. Maybe it's consumerization of HR software. You know, but that's that's the way we're thinking about it. It's got to be about users. It's got to be about helping users get better. And if we can crack that, money will come. It's the uh, self improvement as a service. Exactly. Nice. Mm-hmm. And, and Amy, uh, you know, he did mention that that your, your magic word mentoring earlier. I, I just w- was wondering your take on all of that as well as a kind of a side thing here of, you know, using this as a mentoring tool and and all of the aspects of that. Well, yeah, I think that's pretty cool, the concept of crowdsourcing, crowdsourcing a mentor. It, it actually led me to wonder, kind of a geeky question, one tick up is, I know you can't tell us the secret sauce, but 
Um, I'm sort of curious about the big data set that was used originally to make some of the choices in terms of the norming of, you know, left or right as a positive or negative, um, things that would associate, you know, is it fuzzy logic? Is it logic? How do you, how do you determine who would be a good mentor? Um, just some of the, the guts of it, I think are really fascinating. The kind of, uh, the thought that went into crafting what looks like self-improvement, what does make someone better? Yeah, I mean, I don't think we've solved it yet. I mean, you know, it's it's an ongoing thing for us. But certainly on on the the swiping left and right was the easy part. But underneath those cards, there's actually buttons. I mean, I, I'm sure you guys don't use Tinder and I don't use it either. But just from looking at the UI, right, you can swipe on pictures left and right. And then underneath the pictures, I think there is like a, a heart icon and like an X or something like that, right? And so... We actually spent four months trying to figure out what those buttons should be for us, right? We started with like a thumbs up and thumbs down, right? Um, to say, okay, thumbs up meaning it's a strength, thumbs down meaning that it's not yet a strength. But we noticed that nobody was swiping left because the notion of giving a thumbs down to somebody on a particular skill seemed so harsh. That means like you're almost saying, oh, you suck at this, right? And, and like, well, nobody, well, you don't suck that badly, you know? And so like people were like, ah, you know, and then they wouldn't like swipe left at all. Um, and so we spent a fair bit of trying, time trying to figure out, okay, what should we put in there, right? You know, and so we tried so many different combinations before we landed on you know, this is a strength and, you know, uh, I think we, the current buttons say always, you do this always and you don't do this enough, I think is where we landed. Um, and that seems to be okay. And we'll probably try a few more different combinations there to figure out, you know, how do we really convey uh, in, in a, you know, to, when, when you're giving feedback that you're not saying that you suck, you're just saying, hey, this is not yet a strength. You can, it can become a strength, but you're not quite there yet, you know? Um and so I think we spent a fair bit of time and we'll continue to kind of iterate on that. And then on the mentoring thing, it's all about collecting data, right? I mean, we're collecting all this data for every card, every skill. We know who has it as a strength and who has it as not yet a strength, right? And we have all this data in the back end. And so we're able to like figure out, okay, who are the top people for any skill, right? And be able to recommend, you know, folks uh, from that list, uh, you know, to, to other folks who need help. Uh, and over time, you know, we're thinking maybe we can even recommend classes that people could take, right? Um, you know, we can potentially even, you know, put up YouTube videos that you can watch to get better at, like, say, presentations or something, you know? How can we, like, put a lot of effort? How can we become almost like a coach to you, right? Well, uh, and this is this is what I find fascinating is if you've taken this very human thing, I love the kind of uh, – uh, tension, if you will, between uh, making people better humans and using automation and data to do that. It's, it's, it's pretty fascinating. Absolutely. Absolutely. So, and, and it also has to be one of the first times anonymous data isn't used for trolling. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> anonymous data is also used for gambling. <laughs> True. <laughs> so, uh, so let me ask you one last question. We'll, we'll, we'll kind of wrap this up cause we're, we're running into, uh, into our time slot. Um, <clears throat> you know, a lot of us will, will go to technical conferences. We go to technical events because, you know, we're, we're in the technology business and we're, we're selling technical stuff. Like who, who do you find are the early adopters of this? Is this, I mean, is this, you know, it's, it's obviously there's a, there's an aspect of this that's a collaboration piece. So is it, you know, people that identify themselves as being sort of 
DevOps teams or do you find them, they're like marketing organizations and you, you, you go where they, I mean, like, how do you find the people that, that want to do this stuff? Is it smaller companies, is it larger companies? Yeah, it's fascinating. So we're actually getting our initial traction from product teams, right? So we've been reaching out to heads of product or heads of engineering. And here's a pitch to them, right? We say, look, you guys are all agile, right? So you're continuously developing, you're continuously testing, you're continuously integrating, you're continuously shipping, right? Stuff is happening, you know, continuously. And feedback should be continuous as well, such that it fits in with the way you guys are working, Versus you guys dropping everything that you're doing once a year to fit into the way HR works. And that pitch about, you know, continuous feedback being in line with the way you work is resonating really, really well with product teams. And that's where we're getting our initial traction. Uh, and so our sponsors, you know, for all the you know early design partners that we've had and, and the customers who are actually downloading the, the product off the website, most of them are, are starting off being product teams, and then from there we're growing organically within organizations. That, that, that makes perfect sense. Uh, the, the teams that love a lot of data and, and love to give a big F you to HR whenever they can. So <laughs> we're, not, we're not recommending that you do that. I just want to be on record saying that we love it. <laughs> so, you, so you don't own FUHR.com? That's not one of your uh, domains. <laughs> Yeah, we own. We love HR domain. Uh, I had to throw that in there. <laughs> I, did, I think it's actually a viable question. I wonder if, um, in the marketplace, if HR departments would feel threatened. I thought that was an interesting story you told that people felt that was actually a an asset, just like you would have um, a gym membership. You know, improve your improve your get improve your soul, <laughs> improve your yeah. improve yourself. Yeah. yeah, I mean, it's, it's interesting. Right? I mean, you know, some of the progressive, you know, HR folks that we're talking to actually do view this as a benefit. And in a sense, you know, they want to be heroes too, right? I mean, for, for the longest time, you know, HR is always, you know, um, you know, kind of getting kicked around in a sense, right? Um, and, and so anything that helps them be the heroes to their employees, but bringing in and supporting software that actually helps their employees is actually a good thing. Um, and so we're actually seeing some of the early, you know, more progressive HR folks saying, hey, this is actually a good thing. We should actually support this, you know. Um, so it's, it's not, uh, you know, not trying to stick it to HR by any means. Yeah. Well, listen, SK, this has been uh, this has been fascinating. I think we, we, we went in a few places that maybe we hadn't expected to. What's uh, if people want to go try it out? What's the best place to, to go find the software and, uh, and, and maybe play around with it? Yeah, it's so it's it's free, uh, and so you can actually sign up for free at www.zugata.com, uh, z-u-g-a-t-a dot com. You can sign up um, and and start using the product. It's free. Very cool. Very cool. Well, listen, folks, we're going to wrap it up. Um, once again, uh, you know, thanks again for for everybody who's been listening and telling a friend. Um, you know. Uh, Thank you for, for all the, the stuff in the past about the Krispy Kreme thing and, and, uh, and that going forward. But uh, for Aaron and, and Amy uh, and for SK, folks, thanks for listening tonight. And uh, we will talk to you next week. Thank you for listening to The Cloudcast. Please visit thecloudcast.net to find more shows, show notes, videos, and everything social media. 